Our text this morning comes from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll be reading. We're going to read all the way down to verse 9. Now hear God's word to us this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. Gracious and awesome, mighty God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, asking that you would be pleased by our worship, by what we have confessed so far, by what we have prayed so far, by what we have proclaimed so far. And in your mercy and your continued goodness for the glory of your name, that through the preaching and hearing of your word, you would sanctify your saints. You would build us up in the body. You would speak to each one of us, whether we are four years old or 80 years old, you would speak to us that we would know Christ more, that we would know you more, that we would understand our lot in this life and understand your glory. This is only power capable of being done by your goodness and your mercy and your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's been an interesting change in society, and I'm sure many of you have actually lived through this change in society. I'd say those who are my age and below is when we really, maybe we didn't know any, any difference. But this change in society is that we determine who we are. We determine what kind of person we are, what we're going to do in life. We determine our lot in life. There was a, uh, a season, a period of time where that wasn't so. That wasn't the case. If your dad was a baker, you were going to be a baker. If your dad was a carpenter, you were going to be a carpenter. If you were of nobility, then you were of nobility, and that was just the way it was. But now, it's up to you to discover. The world is your oyster. There's a thousand different choices. What are you going to do? And although there is some benefits to this, with so many choices, often there can come great anxiety, right? I can remember being 20 years old. And I literally got shingles. Shingles is like the skin disease, like comes from great anxiety. Trying to to decide when I was 20 years old, am I going to join the Navy or am I going to move to Las Vegas? Because it wasn't just two different choices. It really was, what am I going to be? What is my lot? With so many choices and not sure of what we're going to do, isn't it comforting at times when somebody who knows you and loves you sits down and looks you right in the eye and says, this is who you are. You are a good mother. You are a good provider. This is what you should do. I know you, and this is who you are. 
doesn't that feel good when that happens? When somebody who knows us at our heart declares to us what we really are. Well, that's what Peter does in this letter. He speaks truth to these saints. He declares to them what they are. And you, in this passage, also need to hear what you are. Because God declares to us our reality. The situation in this text is that Peter is writing from Rome. You're talking about the mid-60s, so 63 to 67. Peter's in Rome, and he's writing to these saints. In Rome, Nero is in charge, and Nero is crazy. Nero's a lunatic. Nero wanted to have a building project in Rome, but there was kind of the poor area was in his way. So he burned down the poor area. And don't think he just burned down buildings. I mean, there's people trapped inside and livestock, and, and all of their possessions and their businesses. He burned it down, and there was, of course, this great uproar against Nero. People knew he did it, but he blamed the Christians. He knew he had to blame somebody. He blamed the Christians, and most people realized that it wasn't the Christians, but still, it was easy. It was a scapegoat. We need somebody to blame for this. We can't overthrow Nero, so we'll blame the Christians. And that took place. And so Christians have this bad rap kind of going for them. And this spreads all throughout the kingdom. But they're not being persecuted just because they're Christians. That didn't happen till later on in the, in, in the second century, that they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Christians, though, were being persecuted because they were odd. They were odd, and they were looked at as a threat. They were odd in this way. They were odd because they used to live like everybody else. They used to look like everybody else and do what everybody else did. But once they became Christians, they stopped. They didn't join in the debauchery. They didn't join in the idol worship. They did things that were different. And anytime somebody stops going along with the crowd, they're going to be looked at a little differently. They were also looked at as a threat because in the Roman Empire, the only people that did not have to worship Nero, Caesar, as a god was the Jews. But now you have these Christians, both Jew and Gentile, not worshiping Nero. And that wasn't like that they really cared about Nero, but it was a threat to their society. It was a threat to their way of life. And the result basically was a lot of suffering, a ton of suffering. They were slandered. They were treated unjustly. One commentator said that because there was already this negative view towards Christians and kind of that water had been tainted, that if there was an enemy of a Christian, he would point out, that guy's a Christian. And they would use that as a point to kind of overthrow them. And, and there was even lynching that took place of Christians during that time. Just looking at the book, I, I went through First Peter and just highlighted all the times it talks about suffering. And listen here, it says, chapter one, for a little while, if necessary, you're going to be grieved by various trials. Also in chapter one, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time as an exile. There's, there's difficulty. Chapter 2, it says, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you do good and suffer, it's a gracious thing in sight of God. Chapter 3, do not repay evil for evil because that evil was being done for them. Chapter 3 says, when you are slandered, those who revile you, they do it because of your good behavior. Peter says, it's better to suffer while doing good. He says in chapter 3, Christ also suffered. Chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered, arm yourself with the same way. He goes on, do not be surprised by the fiery trials that you face. Rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings. Goes on, chapter 4, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to God. He says, I am a witness of Christ's sufferings. 
He says, the adversary prowls around like a devil. The adversary of the devil prowls around like a lion seeking to devour. Resist him. All throughout this book is the people are suffering. They're struggling. And that's a result. And it's not just physical suffering, but it's also an emotional suffering. A suffering of these people were experiencing isolation and, and in a sense, feeling forgotten. It's very interesting as he's talking to them, he points out where these Christians are. They're in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This is the upper region of Turkey. Now, Paul, if you have in your Bibles like a little map, it shows Paul's travels. It's all along the southern route of Turkey, right? And if you remember from the Bible in Acts, it says he was going to make his way up north to where these people are. And the Holy Spirit actually told him, don't go there. Because these people are way out. No apostle went to their region. It was probably somebody who was converted by an apostle went up there and, and shared the gospel. But these are the people who are in the far outer reaches of the kingdom. They are nobodies. And so they're experiencing this sense of isolation and this suffering going on for their faith. And, and, and what happens when we're feeling we're suffering and we're feeling isolated? We ask, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And what Peter tells the people, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, what I am saying is what Jesus Christ has said. He's saying, I am right here. I am right here in your midst. You yourself may be struggling with some of these same questions. Who am I? What is my life? At times you may be feeling isolated or forgotten. We can feel very lonely at times, even when we're surrounded by people. We might be in a job that pays the bills, but what is the purpose of it? It's not my passion. We might be in a house that is empty. There's no more kids' voices anymore. We might be lonely in sickness. We might feel isolated in a society and a culture that seems so different than what I hold to and what I believe in. Well, God brings a comforting and clarifying word to us. Right this in this passage. And, and the whole goal of this book is he's saying, stand fast in the faith that you have in Christ Jesus and continue to entrust yourself to God who cares for you. Continue to stand fast and continue to entrust yourself to God. The outline is simple. It declares that we are the elect of God. And it also declares that we are exiles living on earth waiting for our heavenly kingdom. We are the elect of God, and we are exiles on earth. So the first point, we are the elect of God. Verse 1 declares to us, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. The first thing that would have really perked the ear of these first century readers is that Peter is tying this church, these Gentile people, to the nation of Israel. These are Gentile, non-Jewish recipients. In these churches, there would have been Jews in these churches as well, but the majority of them would have been Gentiles, just like us, not from the nation of Israel. But just like us, this is about 30 years after Christ's ascension, they have come to learn about the Jewish history, about the Israelite history. You and I are, are Christians, we're mostly Gentile Christians, but we know a little bit about the Jewish history. And this is what we know about the Jewish history, is that they were the elect. They were the chosen people of God. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. It declares, for you are the people, talking about Israel, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you 
to be his treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. It was super clear in the Old Testament that Israel had a special place in God's eye, a special place in God's plan. God had revealed himself to Moses. He had shown his mighty works to the Israelites and bringing them out of Egypt. He had sent the Israelites prophets. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the forefathers of Israel. Even at the temple, we're, we're pretty far removed away from this time in life, but even at the temple, you had places the Israelites could go in, but the Gentiles were kept out. The Gentiles were kept at a distance. And even Ephesians, Paul is declaring to the people, another Gentile congregation, he says, remember, at one time you were without God and without hope in the world. You did not have God. Now he is saying to these Gentile mothers and these Gentile young men and these Gentile Roman guards, he's saying, you are now the elect of God. You are now the chosen people. Regardless of your background, regardless of your heritage, you are the treasure of his eye. You are the joy of your heavenly father. This is a brand new understanding taking place. Now get this. It was understood that the elect were God's chosen people, the Israelites. It was understood that they were earthly people or a nation. But we know from the Old Testament that God's chosen people, God's elect, was pointing more, more than just an earthly people, an earthly area. It was pointing towards a heavenly people, an eternal people. It was pointing toward, the election was pointing towards a salvation, a forgiveness of sins, of being cleansed from their idolatry, being made a new people, as, as Ari said, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not just earthly, but an eternal people. This is the election that is being taught by Paul in Romans when he says, and those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So he's writing to these people in this far-off land that think that they're forgotten, think that they mean nothing, feel isolated, are suffering for this faith and saying, you are my people. I have saved you unto myself for eternity. Can you imagine what this must have meant to those who Christians who heard this, who were suffering and feeling abandoned? God is declaring to them, you are anything but abandoned. Listen to this detail. Where he's writing this, I did a Google Maps of it. Where he's writing to this Pontus and this uh, Bethania, uh, Peter is in Rome. It's 2,000 miles from Rome to this place. And they carried this letter that far, 2,000 miles. That's from San Diego to Chicago. And God in his providence got that letter there by walking. It didn't take a flight. God says, you are not abandoned. You are my people. I see you. And he said, you notice how in the text he says, the elect exiles of the dispersion. He's saying, you are my people. There is a history of God's people having been in many ways run out of town. He's saying, this is not strange that you're off in the far reaches of the world. That is the normalcy of my people. Now hear this, saints. God's elect. He says to you, and, and I know that this might not hit home this morning, but you and I both know there's times where we say, is this real? Does God really care about me? Does he really know my life? Does he know the roads I drive? Does he know my, my, my driveway? Does he know my friends? Does he know 
when I'm sitting in my living room, nobody sees me. Does he really care about me? There's 8 billion people on the planet. Does he see me? And this is what he's declaring to us. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. He says, well, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Peter is giving these people a new identity. He's, he's grabbing you by the cheeks. He's, he's staring you in the eyes and he's saying, you are God's. He knows your comings. He knows your goings. He knows your fears. He knows your concerns. It is through faith that you are Christ. You are the elect of God. Your sins have been forgiven. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God has saved you. Let me ask you, do, do you have this confidence? Do you have this confidence throughout your day? This illustration came to mind. It was my 40th birthday couple years ago and my brother is up in Seattle and he's got a business and he does really well for himself and he said Jeremiah I'm gonna take you anywhere in the world anywhere you want to go I'll pay for it and uh, I like surprises so I said you know what even better yet you take me somewhere don't even tell me until we get to the airport so sure enough he flew down to San Diego we went to the airport because of COVID it shut down so we couldn't go international and he flew us to Maine. We went to Maine. Then we went down to Nantucket. It was a 10-day trip. It was, it was phenomenal. And then we ended in Boston and flew home from Boston. But when we were in Boston, uh, we went to the Encore. It's a casino. And uh, my brother loves to uh, uh, play cards and different things. And, and we were just having a great time. And he was covering my whole trip. And we went to the tables, and we, we both lost a little bit. And we're, I remember we're walking back to the elevator. And, you know, we're, we're trying to cheer each other up. We, we didn't lose that much, but we, we, we lost some. It stung. So we're just kind of like, ah, it's all right. We got this great hotel room. Let's walk up there, eat some chocolate-covered almonds and what, whatnot. And we get to the elevator, and, and he pulls out one coin. It's a $100 coin. And he says, come on, follow me. And we walked back into the casino, and we go to the roulette table. And parents, I'm sorry, you're going to have to do a lot of explaining to your kids after this. And he goes, he goes, he says to the dealer, he says, I want 425 tokens. And he says, 831, 525. 831, August 31st, that's my birthday. 525 is our mom's birthday. The dealer spins the wheel. Black 31, he jumps up. I, did, I, did, I wasn't quite sure I didn't play the game very much. He jumps up. He's like, we won, we won, we won. He gives me half. He takes half, gives the rest of the dealer as a tip. And I tell you, my brother, walking back, he was like Conor McGregor. He was like, he was like, he just, just the difference between when we first were walking and afterwards. Saints, do you understand that you are the elect of God? I don't care if you walk with a limp because you're financially struggling. I don't care if you walk with a limp because your family lifestyle hasn't turned out the way that you want it to be. I don't care if you walk with a limp because your job doesn't give you all the passion in your life. You are the elect of God. You are saved from eternal damnation. You are entered into the family of God. God sees you and knows you, has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You and I should be walking with joy in our step the entire way. That's the reality of what God is showing us. Before we go on to the second part, talking about being exiles, Peter gives us a clarifying remark about our election. This, this election unto salvation, saving from our damnation. 
he says, verse 2, it's according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, foreknowledge is not just something that God knew would happen, that he knew who would be sensitive and who would hear the, the, the gospel and would respond to it. No, it can be translated, and many commentators do, according to the purpose of God. This means that it is in its most simple form, that according to God's own free will, free means it's his, he's not, he's not, he can't be bribed, he's not influenced by anybody else, but according to God, the Father's own free will, not seeing anything in us or anything that we were going to do different or separate than anybody else, but for the purpose of his own glory, that this is going to make much of him, he has chosen us to be saved. He has chosen some to be saved. God has chosen unto salvation some to be saved for his glory. And it even tells us that this was according to God's foreknowledge. And we know when this foreknowledge took place, it was before the foundation of the whole world. If you turn in chapter 1 all the way to verse 20, it says, talking about Jesus, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world and was made manifest at the last times for you. So before, one of my boys just asked me recently, like, where is God? Is he outside of this universe? Is he, is he just really far out there? And I, I tried explaining that. God always existed, right? So let's say God is just like in this, this is God, and he existed, and he decided to create this world. God can exist without this world. You take God away, this world doesn't exist. So before God, who has always was and always is and always will be, before he created this world that isn't always was, isn't always will be. God God chose, when I make this world, I'm going to save these people. I'm going to send Jesus. So also, as you're out there in the far reaches of that Roman Empire, when you're out there in the far reaches of your house and your town and your neighborhood or in your classroom, know that it was before the foundation God chose you. Know that he, this is, your, your hope is not in yourself, it's, it, it's in him. Some, this is an older concept of God's election. For some, it's new. For some of those who, uh, it's new and it's even a challenging concept. I, I very much sympathize with you. It wasn't until after I was a Christian for many years that I, I came to understand it. And I remember uh, I, I was in Columbia, South Carolina, and Sinclair Ferguson, who was a pretty well-known Scottish pastor, who was our pastor at the time, was going through Romans, and as I was still kind of struggling with it, I knew he was going to be preaching on Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30, which really talks about this, and I went to the evening service that he was preaching, and I thought, this is going to be this huge thing, and it wasn't exactly a huge thing. It wasn't a huge thing once I began to understand the context of what it is. The context makes it look, makes so much more sense. The context of it is of course it must be up to God. Of course God must have chosen me. Because I would have never chosen God on my own. The context is, is that we are all so broken and so fallen that unless it was up to God, nobody would choose God. I have in my mind this picture of an escalator, like when you go to the airport, and it's going down. There's some that go down, some go up. Picture the one going down, and all of humanity is on the escalator going down. They're going down to God's judgment because of their sin and unrighteousness. And it's God who, by his grace, through Christ, grabbing some and saving some. But without God's grace, there's no hope. The doctrine of election is not meant to beat anyone down. But it's always used in a, in, in a context like this where Peter's trying to encourage the people. 
He's trying to say, your hope is not in your own strength, but it's in God. How do I know I'm going to make it? Do you ever have that question sitting at the kitchen sink, driving your car? How am I going to make it? Well, you're going to make it because God will see to it. This is made clear in the, in the second clarifying point, that it is by the sanctification of the Spirit that we are brought into the family of God. He says there, uh, this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that you are elect, in the sanctification of the Spirit. You can translate in the sanctification of the Spirit by means of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working, going into our hearts and regenerating us, working on us, tilling the soil so that when the seed of the gospel is planted, we may receive it. You and I can have so much joy and confidence in our daily lives, even if we suffer, because God himself not only regenerated us and has saved us, but still dwells in us and will cause us to walk in holiness. I love this from, you may know this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36. God is talking to the Israelites who are so hard-hearted, and, and they're just, they won't get it. God can show himself mir- the miracles. He can send them prophets, but they just won't get it. They keep turning to other idolatries, to other gods. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to remove your heart of stone, this impenetrable heart that just won't get it. You won't get my grace. You won't get that I'm sufficient. You won't get that I'm the only way. He says, I'm going to remove that heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh, soft and malleable, that will receive me. I'm going to put my, he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. And that is what God has done. The sanctification of the spirit not only regenerates us and causes us to be God's elect, but it also causes us to walk in ways that are pleasing to him. You can see the the Trinitarian action in this election, in this process. God the Father says, determines I'm going to save these people for myself. Christ the Son goes and accomplishes the necessary work for it to happen and the Holy Spirit applying it in our lives. What do you not see? You don't see Jeremiah doing a whole lot. You see Jeremiah responding to the Father as he has caused me to do. You see Jeremiah, the recipient of grace. And the same goes for you. So saints, do you see the power and the benefit of what God is telling us that we are? If you are in Christ Jesus, this is your reality. This is your truth. Well, what else does scripture say about us besides that we are God's elect? It says that we are exiles. Point number two is that we are the exiles on this earth and belong to a kingdom of God. Imagine this. Imagine this situation. You're being yelled at all the time, like right in your face. Voices from all over. You're being told to do things you just simply cannot do. You're not allowed to sleep. And if you are, you're woken from it in in terrible fashion. You're pushed beyond your limits physically. You need medical attention, but you don't really have time to get it. You can't always get it. You're wet. You're cold. And because of the lack of sleep, you're, you're kind of delusional. And things are just breaking down. And it's always dark. And time is just slipping away. And the yelling never stops. How good does that sound? Some of you that have kids, you're like, that's life. That sounds like a terrible experience. You know what I just explained? The Navy SEALs Hell Week that a thousand different sailors go through every year. And you know what? They want to go through it. If you understand the context, it does sound terrible, but it makes sense. 
and you can operate within that context. For us, a lot of challenges that we have and a lot of the trouble that takes place in our world is because we don't understand the context of what we live in. I love what Peter uh, says in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trials when it comes upon you to test you, as if though you were going through something strange. Often we think we're going through something strange. The, the exiles that were in Pontus and Bithynia and Asia thought something strange was going on. Peter says, you are exiles. You are wanderers. So much difficulty in our life comes from not remembering that. We are trying to make a home here on earth when this is not our home. I remember uh, when I was a kid, growing up in the 80s and 90s, MTV was like the worst thing. That was like the devil trying to get inside your house. Well, now I think it's HGTV. I think it's Chip and Joanna Gaines. Because each one of us thinks that if we get a little ship lap and some new paint, like, like life's going to be great. And it's just not. We are exiles and aliens. If I was to say to one of my children, like, look, there's an alien, and I'm not talking about like an extraterrestrial person. What, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a foreigner. Somebody who's from a different land, who, from a different land, they, they have different rules, they have different ways, they have different society structure, they have a different king, they have different practices. Peter is saying, you guys are now aliens. You used to be one and one in this world, but now you're, you're different. You're from a different world. Now, some of us, if we know that we're going on an international trip to a different country, we know there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortableness, right? There's going to be a, a, a language barrier. Your Apple iPhone might not plug into the wall with the same electrical outlet. You know that the food might be a little different. You might drive on a different side. When you travel, there's this understanding it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. Well, of course it's going to be uncomfortable as Christians, citizens of another world living here. The rules are not the same. The, the, the conditions aren't the same. The government is not the same. I can expect to be uncomfortable here. Something that's happened in America in the last 10, 15 years, as America has gotten further away from Christendom principles, is that we've begun to lose our minds. Because a, a big problem that the church has had is associating an earthly kingdom with a heavenly kingdom. This was never our kingdom. We should not be surprised by these challenges. And the kingdom of God still stands regardless of what happens to an earthly kingdom. Listen, we, are, we have been brought into the people of God. We are his chosen people. He tells us to call him father. It says, you are the elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God, the father. You are aliens. We are aliens and exiles, but we have a heavenly father that overlooks us who's in control. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says, don't be anxious and desire and be worried about your clothing and your food and your drink. And, and, and saints, living at third time, your clothing was important. He, he's talking about life essentials. A, a common thing for us, that don't be worried about your rent and your car and your job. He says, because this is what the Gentiles seek after. See, now he's not calling us Gentiles. He's, we are the people of God. We are the church. Gentiles aren't just people who aren't Jews. Gentiles are people that don't have God as their father. And he's saying, your heavenly father knows what you need. And I love what the writer of Hebrews, 
as they go through there. And Ari actually pointed to it, talking about having this exile mindset that I think we really need to grab onto. Do you have an exile mindset? Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith, it declares what this heaven, this exile mindset looks like. It's talking about those who died in the Lord. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from far away and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, they are seeking a homeland. They have a desire for a better country that is a heavenly one. Now listen to what God says about those who sojourn and pilgrim and are exiles, but have this heavenly mindset. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We don't lose when we are willing to forsake the things of this world. We actually gain. Do you see the picture that's being painted here? It's not strange that we face trials. We are the people of God and we have an enemy. Peter's even in chapter 4 going to say, you, the devil prowls around seeking to destroy you. We have a target on our back. We also live in a world that's not going to make sense to us. People aren't going to understand us. Now, I want us to get this one last thing because this is important. Peter declares, he grabs us by the cheeks, grabs us by the shoulders, stares in our face and says, listen, I know you're anxious, but you are God's child and you're going to be okay. He has you. And we ought to know that and we ought to see the mercy that is shown to us. But the reality is you and I don't always remember that. We are like sheep that are prone to wander, right? And the Holy Spirit that now dwells in you, if you are in Christ, is going to, by this sermon, by the preaching, sanctify you to give you more of that pilgrim mindset. But we will forget, and we'll be prone to wander. And so I love this last thing that Peter says to the people. If you look at chapter 2, or verse 2 at the second half, it says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and it says, and for sprinkling with his blood. There's not like very pinpoint accuracy on exactly what this text means, but almost all commentators say this is pointing to the Old Testament covenant ceremony. When after God gave them the law of God, the people said, we will obey. And then Moses took blood from the sacrificial animals and sprinkled it on the people. They were now God's covenant people. That covenant was, you obey and I will bless well, what commentators are seeing right here and what, I, what our faith needs to cling to is Peter is pointing to the new covenant here. He's pointing to the new grounds of which we stand on. Not that you and I are always going to be walking like champs, understanding that we live in a different kingdom, that you and I, even though we have the Spirit dwelling in us, aren't always, gonna, are always going to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. He's pointing to... That our grounding is not in our own strength, in our own remembering this sermon. Our grounding is in the new covenant that was accomplished by Jesus Christ. That even though we are the people of God, we deserve the punishment of God. And therefore, God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to establish a new covenant in his blood. Where God makes a covenant not with us. Because we're a terrible party to make a covenant. We won't keep our end. He makes the covenant with his son, Jesus Christ. Upon his perfect obedience and sacrifice upon the cross. If Christ is obedient, then God will give him a people, us. And Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient and fulfilled the covenant. And we are sprinkled in his blood. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
We are his. Even though you and I sometimes will act more like the people of this world than the people of the heavenly kingdom. But our hope is in the unchanging promises of God, in the unchanging work of Jesus Christ. For he has a kingdom. He has a place that is our heavenly home. And we are his people and his treasured possession. And he will bring us all the way there. Now, if you have heard this sermon and if you yourself have not trusted in Christ Jesus, the way that you get into this is through faith in him. By receiving the good news. The good news is that there's hope for your sin. The good news is that we're not left to ourselves. That there is a new covenant that doesn't depend upon us. Hear now and receive that good news. And to the rest of us, let us continue the sojourn. Let us stand fast to the faith we have in Christ Jesus. Let us continue to entrust ourselves to our loving Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful, mighty God, thank you for your continued grace towards us and love for us. Thank you that you do not leave us to our own devices, but you continually reveal to us the reality that you have made us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us and causes us to walk in your ways. Continue to encourage us by the preaching of your word, by the remembrance of the gospel, our only hope. Now as we come to your table, Lord, we ask that you would bless us, continue to, to guide us, that we may see the reality of what you have done in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.